Okay, we're live. How you doing, everybody? And welcome to the John Riley Project. This is episode number 325. It's Wednesday, September 6th. 2023. How you all doing? Hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. Uh, boy, I, you know, I've been kind of missing in action for a while. I've I've taken about two months off of the John Riley Project podcast, but I've been working on a lot of other things. You know, I've been, um, you, you know, I co-host a, a sports podcast with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton every Monday and Thursday at three o'clock. And, you know, that just takes up a lot of time. But boy, that podcast is really booming, doing well. And, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to take a little break from reporting on San Diego County news and headlines because, you know, I just sometimes you need to take a break sometimes and then you come back and you're refreshed and you got a new perspective. And I figure, okay, it's it's the beginning of September. This is the first Wednesday of September. So here we go. So uh, got a lot in store for you today. We're going to talk about Poway Road. You know, we cover all the San Diego local news topics. We're going to talk about Poway Road and this so-called canyonization of Poway Road. We're going to talk about more issues within the San Diego housing crisis, like micro units, vacant property. What kind of role do those play? We're going to get into Point Loma Nazarene University and a pastor who was dismissed for his position on gay marriage. I think it's a very interesting topic here in San Diego. We'll talk a little bit about, uh, you know, disgraced El Cajon Councilman Ben Colasho and the latest updates in his case. We'll get into uh, a little fun story in Escondido about the Jor Muffler Man, which I love, and I will talk a little bit about that. Um, expansion of bike lanes in National City, that's a big topic. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about my trip to Snapdragon Stadium last weekend. And then finally, Kind of an interesting angle how the ban on California flavored tobaccos is backfiring, and so uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that. You know, kind of prohibition of of uh, flavored tobacco. So it'd be kind of a fun episode here. Plus, you know, we want to get your comments and questions. We'll get you involved in the San Diego Community Forum. Here's what you do. You just need to type in your comment or question in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and I'll get you involved. And sometimes I'll get you involved midstream as I'm going through these topics so we can make this a a community forum. Or I might save you till the end because that's when we include a lot of our social media comments and we'll be breaking all of those down. So, that's our plan for today. How y'all doing? Welcome to the John Riley Project after a couple of month hiatus, but I'm glad to be back. And, you know, school starting for a lot of people. So this just kind of feels the right time to get back into it. Okay, let's uh, let's dive in and let's talk first about this topic of the canyonization of Poway Road. Okay, and this has been making the the uh how should I say it's been on the circuit of local Facebook community uh commentary here in my hometown of Poway. And this was a letter to the editor that was in our Pomerado News, which is, you know, part of the San Diego Union Tribune family of local newspapers. And it was written by a gentleman named Barry Edmonds. And I want to read this to you because it's very interesting and there's a lot of conversation around this. And 
the title of the letter, the editor is the canyonization of Poway Road. And, and Barry says, first, there are two apartment buildings at the intersection where Taco Bell is. Now we have large, tall, block long buildings going up where the bowling alley used to be. All of these are within 10 feet of Poway Road. Keep this up and we will look like a miniature downtown New York City. Will it stop? Will it stop? This is fantastic. I, I love this comment. Okay, so let's let's break all this down. Just to bring some of you up to speed, maybe you're not following the local stuff going on in Poway, but there's a lot of construction going on in Poway. And it's not just on Poway Road. There's developments all over the city. There's the farm in Poway. There's a lot of other kind of smaller developments that are kind of fitting into some of the open space. But Poway Road is definitely where most of the action is. And oh my God, you know, there, there's been big progress made. You know, not only have they finished, you know, Terrascan and Poway Road where the Taco Bell is, there's also a uh, some apartment buildings there that partly cater to seniors and to retired military. But I think some of those units there are market rate. That's like a three-story building, um, which used to be a vacant bank lot that hadn't been used in decades. Um, and then across the street from that is the Poway Commons, where they're building all of those two-story townhome condos um, that go around the um, El Armando's Taco Shop. And they and they also kind of work their way around Poway Community Park. And those have been going up and people are moving in. And, and so, yeah, on that street corner, you know, you – used to have not a lot of action. In fact, on that street corner, there there used to be nothing really in between the corner and the, the barn, the El, El Armando Taco Shop. Now there's a, is it, I think it's a three-story building there too. Um, and that freaked out a lot of people here in Poway. Well, now, as I predicted, it's the freak out is really freaking out. So where the Poway bowling alley used to be and next door to it were all the thrift stores, now that's the Fairfield project, and they're starting to go vertical aggressively. And a lot of people in Poway, you know, that maybe weren't paying a lot of attention to what the city council's plan were through this process are now seeing these buildings go up vertically. And oh my God, not only are the apartment buildings in the back of that lot going up, and they're four stories high. Granted, it's a little bit below the ground level of Poway Road, but it's still pretty tall. Um, and then Along the street, they're building restaurants and other commercial buildings, but those buildings look like they're going to be two, two and a half stories high when you kind of build the facades and everything. And when you're driving down that part of Poway Road, you've got all of this, if assuming you're going eastbound on Poway Road from carriage towards community, you've got all these, this, this, these two by fours going vertical on the south side of Poway Road. And on the left side of Poway Road, there's that hill and there's been those condo townhomes up on the top of that hill for a while. And so, yeah, maybe it feels like a narrowing, like a like a canyon as you're going through. Our good friend Pete Neal did a great video comparing it to Luke Skywalker going into that that narrow chasm on the Death Star where he fired the laser shots into the um, exhaust port and it ended up blowing up the whole Death Star. Um, it was funny. And I think, yeah, there is a lot of reaction to this because 
so much is changing and everyone is freaking out. There's there's a contingent of people that are old time Poway people that don't like change at all. You know, they don't want tall buildings. It's getting in the way of my beautiful view of the Poway Hills. There's other people that don't like it because they're just opposed to the city council and the deals that they've been making with developers. And yeah, there is some, uh, how should I say, uh, lining of pockets going on there where developers are funding PACs, and those PACs are being used to kind of tear down the candidacy of certain candidates that are anti-development or for slow growth and propping up candidates that are in agreement with the developers. But you know what? I see all of this, and I'm still confident that what's happening on Poway Road will be a net positive for our our city because- on, on many different levels. I mean, of course it's changed and there's more traffic and maybe some stress on our infrastructure, but it's not going to be nearly as bad as people think. And on top of it, that, that, well, first of all, we have a housing crisis in San Diego County. We have a housing crisis in Poway. We have a housing crisis in California. There is a desperate need to build more housing units, whether they're single family homes or condos or apartments or what have you. And now they're finally building them. And people are angry because of the change, because some of these are not subsidized enough by developers or by taxpayers and not affordable enough. Well, you know, the apartments that are already built um, right there at Terrascan and Poway Road, well, those some of those are subsidized for seniors and for veterans. But I believe those subsidies are from the developer themselves. I think they kind of packaged it in the way they built that. But those condos, yeah, the Poway Commons, those condos are selling for what, 800? I think they were originally going to sell between six and 700, but now they're 800 and sometimes maybe a little bit more because of the market and the way things have changed. So, yeah, I mean, none of that is, quote unquote, affordable housing. It's what we'll call market rate housing based on the market conditions in San Diego County, which there is a housing shortage, a housing deficit. Supply is low, demand is high and prices are high. But you know what? Overall, this is going to be good. Overall, more housing units, more roofs over people's head that can come to Poway, enjoy our city for the same reasons that I've lived here for um, close to 30 years. Um, I enjoy this city. Other people will be able to come here and enjoy the city as well. That's great. Um, But at the same time, as they build more of these brand spanking new housing units, whether it's an apartment or a townhome or a condo, whether you're buying or whether you're renting, well, yeah, they're going to be expensive because they're brand spanking new. But that's going to free up a lot of older buildings, older rental apartments, older rental homes that will be less expensive. And we'll start to see a sort of a cascading effect throughout the community. But you know what? People are just freaking out about this idea of canyonization of Poway Road. I mean, it's different. It's different. But, you know, the world is changing. We can't hit the pause button on our VCR and freeze Poway at 1973. There's more people in San Diego County. There's more people in Poway. There are more jobs. There's a lot more people attracted to San Diego. And we've got a problem on our hands. There's not enough housing. And so it's funny because some people will get upset when they build million-dollar homes like they're doing at the farm in Poway because that's not for affordable housing. 
But then when they start to build condos that are less expensive than million dollar housing, that are more actually in many cases less than the median home price in San Diego. Median home price in San Diego is what was it last? Like $850,000. A lot of these condos on Poway Road in the Commons are below that. And now they build homes market rate that are below the median. People still get angry because they don't want people moving in. It's the NIMBY effect. But, you know, this is going to keep on going. And wait till those buildings at the Fairfield Project right by the Poway uh, Fun Bowl used to be start to get finished and people start moving in. You're going to see a lot more uh, hair standing up on the back of people's necks as we go. But what do you think? Do you think Poway Road is out of control? It's really not that bad. I mean, it is, there's like three or four buildings that are three stories or more. Um, and it's and it's not like, you know, going down that that narrow chasm on the Death Star with Luke Skywalker and having Darth Vader chasing you down with a TIE fighter. Um, it's not like that. It's not like like Barry Edmonds says here, New York City in Poway. Um, it's not like that. It's not even like Mira Mesa. But you know what? Everything's changing. You know, Poway, the old moniker, the city and the country. Oh, it sounds nice, but that was established over 40 years ago when the city was incorporated, things are changing. And it's not just Poway. Look around. You go across the freeway over to Rancho Penasquitos. There's a ton of development over there. And then there's development um, in our coastal community, dip development downtown, um, development in Escondido and Vista and Oceanside because of this housing crisis. So, wow. So tell me what you think. You know, type in your comments in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. Um, let's move down the list. I want to talk a little bit about this topic of micro units. And are these a potential solution for the San Diego housing crisis? This is interesting. This also generated a lot of conversation here in our hometown of Poway because people, again, struggling with change, struggling with evolution, And what's happening here, these are micro units. These are small apartment, uh, small apartments, in many cases, far less than a thousand square feet that are going into some of these buildings. In this case, it's in North Park. And for the longest time, a lot of these micro units were illegal. It was illegal for developers to build uh, apartment buildings that the apartment building or the units themselves didn't have at least a minimum square foot. This building also, by the way, has a lot less parking spaces. And that's always been a tremendous hurdle for development because when you have to have a lot of parking spaces based on city regulations to accommodate all the people in the building, well, then you lose a lot of that geographic footprint and they can put less units. And therefore, it ends up costing more in the long run, not just for the developer, but for the people that buy in. Well, now this particular unit is is in North Park right there in the middle of a fairly urban environment. And they only have a limited number of parking spots because they're encouraging people to take public transportation, ride their bikes, et cetera. And this is called the Parkline Building, and it's off of El Cajon Boulevard. And it has 406 square foot studio apartments for about $2,400 a month and 644 square foot one bedrooms that are around $2,900 a month. Interesting. Now, that's still not cheap rent, but 
depending on your situation, this could actually be a pretty sweet deal because it's brand new. It's it's um, a minimalist setup. You know, a lot of people are kind of uh, romantically um, uh, attracted to the simplicity of an easy lifestyle. Um, and having, in this particular case, a, a well-designed, brand new, self-contained unit for a single person, perhaps for a couple, not a bad way to live. Um, and you're getting something that's really new in a really kind of kind of a community here in North Park that's really going through a renaissance. I think this is interesting because now we have more high density. That means we can get roofs over more people's heads. Um, this project is designed for renters who don't want a car. Um, it only has 28 parking spots and a goal is to get the renters to ride bikes or take buses. Um, now, this is also, by the way, built kind of creatively around a chicken pie restaurant, which makes it kind of interesting architecturally. Um, but yeah, like I said, these prices are like about $2,400 for a studio, about $2,900 for a one-bedroom unit. And yeah, that that's more than the average rent in North Park. But then a lot of the rental units in North Park are these really old buildings, so it makes sense that something brand new would be a little bit more. So Parkline has designed a digital display in the mail room that shows information on six MTS bus lines that stop near the building, along with up-to-date departure times and delays. There's also a bench built outside for people that are call, you know, calling Uber or Lyft. Um, and there's a kind of a bike zone there. They, they kind of have repair tools and maps on the wall and a tire pump. So they're making it a nice kind of accommodations for people that are riding bikes, as well as e-bikes, which are becoming more and more popular. So this is actually not a bad idea, especially if you're young, you're single, you want to kind of live in a sort of an urban up and coming neighborhood. Um, this is not a bad way to go. And especially, you know, there's a lot of high tech people uh, that have good jobs here in San Diego, whether they're working remotely from home or maybe they're commuting into an office that pay very well. And this could suit those people. In fact, some of these people might be in really old apartment buildings in North Park that were built 40, 50 years ago and might say, hey, I can finally get out of that place that I really didn't like very much and get into something that's new and clean. And for a lot of people, this is going to be a big upgrade. Um, now, according to the developer, he said it would be crazy for any developer building a complex with limited or no parking to not go all in on bike storage. And you have to do it. And that's what they're doing. They're really embracing the biking. Um, Parkline is an example of what city planners are aiming for, an infill project that maximizes a tiny footprint, only 16,000 square feet of parcel land on an unused lot. So they're transforming an unused lot into all these different units. And it's near bus lines. It's near bike lanes. And I think this is kind of interesting. Now, I have some photos here of the actual units. Let's take a look. And here you can see this is a photo of... Um, one of the studio apartments. And yeah, it looks kind of small. It looks like like a, a hotel room, maybe like a large hotel room, but it's got a kitchenette. It's got a, a desk area. It's got room for a bed um, and a, a dinette area. You know, not bad if you're a single person and, you know, you're out on the town a lot, you're tra commuting to work, you can still work from home. This is not a bad setup. 
Um, here is like a one-bedroom setup, which is now the one-bedroom actually has like a, a distinct living room. And there it's on a balcony with sliding glass doors overlooking North Park. Pretty sweet. Um, and then finally, here's like a community area they have on the upper deck. And this community area... Um, it has, uh, let me see, where did I see the notes on that? Because I, I thought this was interesting. Oh, yeah. So it has a lounge area with chairs, couches, gas fireplaces, a grill, a foosball table. A real star of the show is the view, which stretches to the Coronado Bridge, downtown Balboa Park, some of the ocean and Bankers Hill. And it's all on the sixth floor. And there's also a gym, an indoor lounge area, a co-working conference room up there. Pretty sweet. So not a bad way to go if you are looking for something as an individual, as a couple that might be interesting for you. Now, we said the rents start at 2400 for these units, but keep in mind that the rent in North Park right now, it's, it averages about $1,600 a month. Um, and the rent in San Diego County overall is about $2,400 a square, uh, $2,400 a month. So North Park generally a more affordable area to live. And these Studio apartments are sort of kind of in line with the median rent for the rest of the county. A little bit more for North Park, but it is brand new. But see, I like this idea. I like the idea of more housing units, more construction. This is going to increase the supply of housing, which is going to relieve pressure on the housing market. This is going to, um, as we have more and more supply, there'll be less and less how should I say, uh, of pressure on prices. This will help relax prices. And I think you're going to start to see kind of a, a shift as people transition from older condos or older apartment buildings into newer ones. Um, that's going to free up a lot of the older ones that are going to be less expensive. You know, because I'm sure a lot of people have been sitting in those older units for years and the vacancy rate is so darn low. So this is going to open up some opportunities. Now, for comparison's sake, um, there are other places that have also put on similar complexes where they've gotten rid of that that parking requirement, uh, but in different locations. So there's the Continental on West Cedar Street in Little Italy. It has 42 studios and no parking spaces. And it is 99% leased. Think about that. I mean, it, what does it only have one unit available? Um, but, you know, you could make an argument. Well, you know, it's a little Italy. That's a very walkable community. But you know what? As they build more of these high density um, housing those neighborhoods are going to become a lot more walkable. And even those people that are complaining about my hometown of Poway, you're going to see Poway Road become more walkable as it continues to evolve. And I think that's why I'm optimistic about all of this. I'm optimistic about the construction of more housing units will be better overall for our San Diego County metropolitan area. Because there'll be more places for people to live. There's going to be a transformation in how people live. And our city is going to become more urban. But this is just part of this natural growth cycle that a lot of people are resisting. But this is also going to ease pressure on the housing market. It's going to upgrade a lot of these neighborhoods that have a lot of old, tired buildings. It's going to freshen that up. And you're going to start to see more of a renaissance in these communities. And I think this is a huge step forward um, all over the county. So 
bravo. In this particular case in North Park, they're building these units. I mean, what do you think? You know, I, I enjoy talking about the um, the housing crisis in San Diego because there's so much discussion about it. You know, on one level, people are upset that housing's too expensive. On another level, people are upset that housing is being built. They don't like the construction. They don't want more traffic. They don't like the change. But you can't get both. I mean, you, 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 we need to embrace change. We need to embrace evolution because it's always changing. Even if you roll the clock back to the early 1970s when, you know, North Park was a, a lot quieter and, and uh, uh, probably a lot less people and when Poway was legitimately a city in the country. Well, back then, the people were still freaking out because they remembered what these communities were like in the 1950s or in the 1940s. Back when Poway only had one stoplight or back when North Park had a lot of open sand lots, you know, things change. And so we just have to be more, I guess, embracing of change. And maybe you don't like the way the change is going on. Well, I mean, you can have your input, but then you also have the ability to change yourself. I mean, if you don't like the character of your neighborhood and it's not really working for anymore, then then people are moving. And that's why you see some people leaving California or moving from suburban areas of California into into more rural areas. And if that's your cup of tea, if that's what you want, well, then then maybe that's what people need to do. But we can't do nothing. We can't not build. Because if we resist this, that prices of housing will become more and more insane. Now, here's just a kind of a crazy story is my daughter has a friend and she and her boyfriend are going in and buying a condo in Encinitas. And I was telling my wife, I said, oh, I'll bet that's going to be at least a million bucks. But they were really excited because it was under a million. And here are these two mid-20s. They're, they're a, you know, a, a man and a woman, a, a couple going in on housing together, which is great. But it's incredible how expensive it is. But this is a fixer-upper. That's why it's so much less expensive there in Encinitas. They got it for under a million. But even if you put, you know, the down payment down, I think their payments are going to be over five grand a month, which is a lot. I mean, it's a ton for a first-time home buyer. So hopefully they have you know good paying jobs or perhaps they're getting family support. I don't know. But if we keep resisting development, then we're going to see this become worse and worse and worse. And of course, the, the monthly payments are a lot higher now with interest rates that have been going up so much. But it doesn't stop there. There was also a lot of discussion, and boy, but I was going back and forth with one of my good friends here in the city of Poway, Chris Olps, about this idea of vacant property in San Diego County. And are vacant homes, is this the problem? This is what we were discussing. And you'll hear this sometimes. I mean, I heard it, I remember when I was in Vancouver, British Columbia, about three years ago, the locals there were really upset because um, uh, foreigners from Hong Kong, when Hong Kong was, you know, was, was really being taken over by the Xi regime, and, you know, a lot of their freedoms were lost. Free speech was crushed in Hong Kong. A lot of the, those folks in Hong Kong moved to British Columbia or they purchased property in British Columbia as an investment or as a potential landing spot for them to move to. 
when they feel like they need to leave Hong Kong. Well, in Vancouver, there are a lot of high-rise apartment buildings and condos, and a lot of those units were empty. And people there were just furious. They're saying, we've got all these empty, vacant places, but no one's using them. And then that's restricting the supply of available property. And that's jacking up our prices. And this ain't right. And they wanted to increase. And I think they did in Vancouver. They increased property taxes and a a number of other fees that if you have something that's just sitting vacant, we're going to hit you hard on that. You know, they already pay property tax on vacant property, but they were going to increase those taxes to penalize them for not living in the property or renting it out to someone else. And now I think there's a lot of people in California that are saying the same thing. You know, there's too many. I mean, there's too many rich people that have a second home, a vacation home. It's just sitting there. I've I've heard people say, we don't really have a homelessness crisis. There are 16 million vacant homes all around the United States. And yet the homelessness crisis is only about a half a million. So there's plenty of places that we can put them. But you sure about that? I mean, first of all, when you're talking about vacant homes, it's different in San Diego than it is throughout the rest of the country. I mean, you go to the Rust Belt in Ohio and and in Indiana and Michigan or go down to downtown Detroit. Oh, my God, there's a ton of of vacant property that are that are boarded up. They're dilapidated. They're 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 not livable or if they are livable, they're just a terrible piece of property. They probably needs to be blown up and rebuilt. There's a lot of that. And then also, generally speaking, a lot of these so-called vacant properties are just simply homes that are in between tenants. You know, maybe it's a place that went up for sale and the person moved out and they've already moved into their new place and it just happens to be empty, like the picture on my screen here. Or in other cases, vacant property because they're doing a remodel and, you know, there's a period of time where there's no tenant for six months, nine months while they're, you know, redoing the kitchen or doing an expansion or what have you. There's a lot of cases like that. But in San Diego County, is this really a problem? Now, there are cases of so-called rich people that have a vacation home of La Jolla Shores that they only use part of the year and the rest of the year it's empty. Those do exist. Um, there are other cases of where people have um, vacation rental property that they use part of the time. They'll, they'll rent it out part of the time or it'll be vacant part of the time. And, you know, that's the whole Airbnb thing. And people get upset about that. We don't want more Airbnb. We don't want um, all these, you know, tourists coming in and having raves and parties in these places. And, And you see more of that definitely in the beach area in Mission Beach where there's vacation rentals right there along the boardwalk or along Mission Bay. And by the way, my family rented one of those for a stay vacation about 10 years ago. It was great. Right on the boardwalk. What a neat way to celebrate San Diego and vacation here. Um, But in San Diego County, what do you think is the percentage of homes that are vacant and that are are literally like no one's in there? I mean, it's perfectly fine, but there's no, there's no tenant. There's no one living in there and yet they're not doing a remodel. It's just kind of sitting there. Well, the San Diego housing commission did a study and in the city of San Diego, Less than 1% of housing units in San Diego are vacant long-term. And 
and they define vacant as being vacant for six, at least six consecutive months at some point during a five-year period before the COVID-19 pandemic. So these are cases, yeah, literally a perfectly good place to live. And for at least six months of the year, no one's living there. Maybe they live half time, you know, in Minnesota and then they, they're, they're snowbirds and they come to San Diego during the winter months. You know, those are those, some of those examples. Or maybe they're just really rich, you know, and, and they have a house in Malibu and a house in La Jolla and a house in um, Barcelona. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people like that as well. But is it really a lot? Well, it's only less than one percent. Um, and here, according to this, a housing unit was determined to be unoccupied if the utility usage for a t- particular month fell below three standard deviations of the unit's respective t- 60 month average. Because, you know, they're still paying SDG&E, but probably a really low rate because they're not running the lights. They're not running the air conditioning. It's they're probably just kind of paying that that connection fee and maybe a little bit. They've got it. They got to pay water right, for utilities, but just mostly the base rate because no one's in there. And that's an interesting way to analyze it. So they know that all the utilities work and no one's really using them. But how many units are we talking about here? Well, less than 1%, which means that between, according to this study in San Diego, between 1,500 and 3,700 units could reasonably be considered potentially vacant for six months or more in the city of San Diego in the period between 2015 and 2019. And you might be thinking 1,500, 3,700 units, that's a lot. That's a lot of vacant property. Boy, if we could move the homeless into there, we might get the people off the street in the gas lamp quarter in East Village. Or we could get a lot of young um, 20-somethings in there that are struggling to find a place to live. Or, or, you know, there's a lot of renters that are dying to find places. There's low vacancy. Look at these places. They're just sitting there empty. But you know what? Even if you did that, it would be only a tiny, tiny dent in the size of the overall problem. Because, friends, we have a housing deficit in San Diego County or in the city of San Diego of over 100,000 units. So if you were able to free up 1,700 to 35, yeah, that might make a little difference. But it's not going to be this groundbreaking change. I mean, really, you kind of look at some of these reports from the San Diego Housing Commission and from other sources. According to this, the San Diego Housing Federation, an industry group for low-income housing developers, they said, if you look back more than two decades, the built-up deficit is closer to 140,000 homes in San Diego. Holy moly. Yeah, because they haven't been building you know, since the the boom in the 90s. And then, you know, after the recession, everything really kind of shifted, the Great Recession. But meanwhile, people still keep moving to San Diego. And according to this article, um, and this article, by the way, I'll include links in the show notes. This is in the voice of San Diego. It says, um, the idea that we've underbuilt our needs can be an unsatisfying explanation for the crushing costs of housing in San Diego. After all, a view of downtown reveals cranes from East Village to Little Italy, each hovering over a hole in the ground that will soon be a home or yet another condo tower. 
And we're seeing that here in Poway, all this construction on Poway Road, on Espola with the farm. There's a lot going on here. But it makes you wonder, is this going to help? And it will help. It puts a small dent in it. But this is better, I think, if you're going to build more homes. I mean, because if other people have vacant property, you know, a brand spanking condo there on La Jolla Shores or what have you, that's only used four months a year and the other eight months it's empty. I mean, what do you plan to do there? I mean, you want to tax them more to get them to use it more? Or, you know, maybe that will actually you have them do Airbnb more. Is that what you want? <laughs> um or do you think, do some people think the government needs to seize their land and prevent them from having it vacant so they can give it to someone else? Well, that's like anti-American on its face. This is a land of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Taking people's property and handing it over to someone else, that's not liberty. Certainly not the pursuit of the happiness for the guy that had his property taken away from him. So building more is better. Building more increases our volume. Building more can happen quickly. And these other cases of homes that are vacant is less than 1% overall. And you know what? It's financially disadvantageous to have a home vacant for that period of time because people want to monetize their asset. They want to rent it out. They want an income stream from it because the property tax for whatever it is, that ain't cheap. Even with property tax rates of around 1% or so, a lot of the, you know, it's probably a little more when you add on all the ancillary bonds at the local level. Well, I mean, we're still talking 10 grand a month or more for a lot of these units. In some cases, a lot, lot more if it's like a single family home that it's empty. I mean, The only people that could really afford to do that are the uber rich. And those are just a very tiny exception to this. Now, governments in San Diego issue permits for roughly 25,000 new homes per year through the 1970s and 1980s. San Diego was a booming period of growth at that time. And developers filled suburban areas like Mira Mesa and Scripps Ranch and Rancho Penasquitos and Carmel Valley. And they did. But then it kind of sort of, kind of, slowed down. In some cases, stopped. Um, And now more people moving in. You know, we have a lot more high-tech jobs, high-paying jobs, biotech jobs, and now people can't find a place to live. According to this article, the lack of new home building has a direct result on housing prices. It just might take some time for the results to materialize, and that's true. That's because new homes like new cars, new sneakers, new computers are expensive. But like those other items, housing gets less desirable and therefore less expensive as it ages. Market rate housing constructed now will therefore add to the community stock of lower cost housing in the future as these homes age and become more affordable. That's true. I mean, look at the homes that were built in Mira Mesa in the 1980s. You know, they're older homes now, and they're not as attractive of a purchase opportunity as a lot of these newer homes and newer communities. So, you know, relatively speaking, they cost less. But also, as more people move into these brand spanking new places, they're going to be vacating older places that cost less, that rent for less. 
and I think that's good. But they need, I mean, 25, they were building 25,000 units a year. 35 years ago, that's what they were doing. And they're not keeping up. They're nowhere near that. I think they're only building like 10,000 a year now in San Diego. It's no wonder they're falling behind. You know, the region keeps adding jobs and people. And even as, even as it produces fewer places for those people to sleep at night. So the NIMBYs in these communities, not in my backyard, they've been preventing development for so long. They're finally losing. And I think that's good because we need more housing in San Diego County. And now we're finally starting to get more of it. And all these innovative ways that people are doing it, like these micro units that are being built around a chicken rest, chicken pie restaurant in North Park, smaller units um, that are more focused on urban living, walkable living, biking, mass transit. That's good, especially when you got to get into San Diego City proper. But even here in the suburbs of Poway, a lot of that's changing too. You know, it would be great if everyone had a ranch style house on a one acre or two acre lot with a big open yard for their children to play. I mean, that's the American dream, right? But when it's in America's finest city where there's such huge demand and so many high tech jobs with people making good money that are willing to pay more, well, that idea starts to fit less and less. And if you really want that kind of a property, it's going to cost more. It just is. Um, And that's just the nature of how all of this is progressing. Now, if you still want the white picket fence, you know, maybe people need to consider other places in America to live. And there are a lot of Californians that are doing that that have said, I've had it up to here with California. I don't like the high prices, the regulations, um, and I want to go somewhere where it's a better place for my children to be raised. Okay, then fine. And perhaps that's what people do. But to try to to impose your will on the rest of California and say, I want it to stay the way that I like it, I mean, it's just wrong. It's just morally wrong. Um, And if we're going to incentivize more people to come here to San Diego to participate in our economy and provide highly productive jobs in the tech sector, biotech, and other parts of our economy. We need more places for people to live. Is, is Poway going to turn into New York City? No. Is San Diego going to turn into New York City? No. But San Diego might become more and more like Vancouver. San Diego, parts of it might become more and more like downtown San Francisco. Well, maybe not downtown San Francisco, but other other neighborhoods of, of the city of San Francisco, where you're going to see more high density living. And I think that's just a natural evolution. I mean, what do you think? Tell me. Um, type it into the live, live stream, um, in the live chat on Facebook or on YouTube, and we'll get you involved. You know, there's also the Senate bill, you know, number 10. This is an interesting one, too. They said the median cost for a San Diego County home, $835,000. Assuming a buyer could come up with $167,000 for a 20% down payment, that leaves a mortgage of $668,000 with interest rates averaging 7% of late. For a 30-year loan, the monthly payment would be gulp $4,994 a month. (laughs) That's a lot. But you know what? I think there's also kind of a disconnect that I think some older people have with pricing, and I have it all the time. Because sometimes my brain still thinks that it's 1994. 
And then I'll go see like what the price of a carne asada burrito is. And I'll go, holy moly. You know, I remember I used to go to lunch for less than five bucks and get a burrito and a drink. And now it costs 15. Um, Things have changed. And and for some of us, it's hard to kind of get our arms around it. It's kind of like my grandfather used to always say, "Ah, I'll go to the movies and see a double feature for two bits, which was 25 cents. Um, Things change. Things become more expensive. Compensation's increasing. Are they increasing proportionally? That's a whole other conversation and argument there. But San Diego needs more homes, friends. And uh, the more we resist it, the more difficult it's going to get. Okay. Um, we're at 43 minutes. We're going to keep going. I, I got. I want to talk about Point Loma gay marriage. I want to talk about Ben Colasho. I want to talk about the Escondido Jor uh, muffler man. I think it's kind of a fun story. We'll talk about bi- more bike lanes in National City, Snapdragon Stadium, the ban on flavored tobacco. There's a lot of news stories here that are worthy of discussing. But you are invited to participate. So if you have a question or comment, drop it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. Okay, let's switch gears. And I want to talk a bit about this pastor that was fired at Point Loma Nazarene for, for his objection to the church policy on gay marriage. This is a very interesting story. So um, Selden D. Kelly led the Point Loma ministry for 17 years. He says, we need an open dialogue about this. Well, this popular pastor who led the San Diego First Church of the Nazarene for 17 years has lost his job because after penning an essay that disagrees with religious doctrine forbidding same-sex marriage. Wow, I mean, that's, a, that's brave for him to come out and say this. Dean Nelson, a member of the First Church Board and director of the journalism program at Point Loma Nazarene University, said in an email Friday that Kelly continues to enjoy broad support from the congregation. And they're, so the, the, the people are supporting him on this. Pastor Kelly, or former Pastor Kelly, goes on to say, we need an open dialogue among the rank and file. We need the dialogue to be encouraged by leadership. But instead, leadership is saying, we don't want to talk about it. We don't support gay marriage. Kelly goes on to say, I'm unable to justify telling a couple who are in love with Christ and each other, seeking godly counsel and participating in the life of the church, that I must refuse them blessing and the participation in the sacrament of marriage. Doesn't this kind of blow you away? Uh, I mean, the the whole idea of the New Testament is the teachings of Christ and loving thy neighbor. And here, the church wants to forbid two people that love each other from and who also are Christian and love Christ from having a union. Now, granted, the church should have the right to make these decisions, but the decision is crazy, especially in light of what's going on in society now. I mean, the world has changed. Again, this is another shift that's been going on for decades. Uh, You know, even I changed on this. I mean, in the 1980s, I remember talking with my wife then. she, She was my girlfriend. And we were talking about gay marriage in the 1980s. And she asked me what I thought of it. And I was like, oh, I don't know if that's really a good idea. You know, here I am with my Catholic upbringing kind of influencing the way I thought then. And then she said to me, she goes, why shouldn't two people that love each other be allowed to marry? And I, I, I couldn't object to that. I had no response because, <laughs> of course, if people 
love each other and they want to get married, they sh- they're consenting adults and they should be able to get married. But it's weird that the church that professes love and professes um, that we should be kind to our neighbors, that we should turn the other cheek, and that we should celebrate the sanctity of marriage would deny marriage. Now, the Old Testament is Sodom and Gomorrah and eye for an eye. and But that's, I mean, that's kind of the prehistory of Christianity, right? But a lot of that kind of rhetoric or the, a lot of that kind of um, hard edge commentary in the Old Testament isn't really so much in the New Testament. So it's strange that this is happening. And and I, I find it kind of crazy. Uh, so <laughs> there have been some other comments on this. But you ever been, to, by the way, you ever been to Point Loma News, Nazarene University? What a great place that is. Going there, their baseball stadium, by the way, is fantastic. Like the best baseball stadium for a university that I've ever been to. My son played there. You look out over the left field wall, there's a cliff, and then there's the Point Loma. You, know, you go down the cliff, and there's the sands and the waves along Point Loma. I mean, you literally hit a bomb over the left field fence. It goes into the ocean. It's great. What a great facility that is. It's a beautiful university, too. It's obviously a very Christian university, and if that's the curriculum they want to have, you know, so be it. But this just bums me out that they're banning or firing a pastor because just because he supports gay marriage. Now, an analysis survey questions about LGBTQ rights found an overall increase in support of same-sex marriage with 68% of 2022 respondents saying they favor allowing gay and lesbian couples to marry legally compared to 54% in 2014. Now, the good news is, is they can marry legally. In the state of California, they can get a civil union because, you know, at the most basic level, a marriage is simply a contract that binds two people together. And then it has conditions that if those two were ever to sever that contract and break up, then this is how property is divided and et cetera. And that can still be achieved with a civil union um, for same-sex couples. That's good. Um, but religion adds obviously a whole other layer to this. It's a sacrament. It's, it brings God into the picture. But do we really know what God wants? I mean, some people claim to speak for God, and they know. But knowing everything that we know about Jesus, loving thy neighbor, I would find it hard to believe that he would object to that, to preventing two people from having a union in the eyes of God. So I... I don't know. I just, just, it just, this just shocks me. I mean, what do you think about this? Let me know in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. Okay, let's move along. A couple more comments. These will be quick hitting before we get to the San Diego Community Forum, where we'll get in some of our social media comments. Okay. El Cajon, former El Cajon council member, Ben Colasho is on the lam. <laughs> like, who's Ben Colasho? So this guy is in trouble with the law. A former city council member in El Cajon um, failed to report for jail. He's supposed to be in jail right now, and he's on the lam. There's a warrant for his arrest. Uh, So Ben Colasho and his wife, Jessica, who were recently sentenced to eight days in jail after being found in contempt of court, failed to appear at a hearing on Friday. This is crazy. I mean, because you are... These elected officials, now granted he resigned, I think, in 2019, but these elected officials, you expect them to uphold the law in the community, and here he is trying to evade the law. Um, this is nuts. Uh, 
So um, apparently he's had this long running civil dispute. It turned into an eight day jail sentence. Now, Ben Colosso and his wife, wife have relocated to rural North Carolina. You know, so they got out of Dodge. They're no longer in El Cajon or even in California. And unless they're apprehended during a visit to San Diego County, law enforcement officials would have to serve warrants in that jurisdiction in North Carolina, which is a big pain. And by the way, the San Diego Sheriff's Department has a backlog of thousands of warrants. So most likely Ben Colosso knows that they're probably not going to catch him. You know, he might be able to stay one step ahead of the law. I think we got to get Dog the Bounty Hunter on this one. Um, the Colosso's failure to appear in court is the latest development in a strange and years-long dispute that includes allegations that this El Cajon City Council member and his wife created fake social media profiles to disparage people and companies with whom they disagreed. Can you imagine that if one of your city council members is creating these fake accounts and starting to slam people around the community? Now, um, according to the the person who made the complaint, Colasho defamed her by calling her the worst lawyer in San Diego and accusing her of engaging in public sex through a made-up online commentator. The same lawsuit also accused Ben Colasho of refusing to honor the prize money given to the winner of the Miss Middle East USA beauty pageant, which Colasho owned and judged and also offered to award the crown to another woman if she slept with him. The Colossos were accused accused of posting unfavorable comments online about a restaurant whose owners had refused to allow him to place his campaign sign in their dining room window. (laughs) It's just crazy. So are they going to catch this guy? I don't know. Okay, some of you might be wondering, okay, is this guy a Republican? Is he a Democrat? Who is this guy? Apparently, he's a longtime Democrat. But he was trying to switch parties to the Federalist Party or something like that. Who knows? But at any rate, this guy's out of office, which is good. But, you know, rule of law is important in this nation. Now, you know, there's some people, this whole law and order bit about coming down hard on criminals. And, well, we do need to come down hard on criminals that are violating the law. Like in this particular case, there's a warrant for their arrest because they, you know, essentially violated a court of law. Got to bring this guy in. I don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, yeah, I, I think hiring Dog the Bounty Hunter might be the way to go. Okay, here's a quick short story here. Um, this is about the Jor Muffler Man in Escondido. Have you ever seen this statue? Yeah, you know, my mom lives in Escondido, so every time I drive home from her place, I go down Valley Parkway and I always see this statue. And I remember seeing it. 10, 20 years ago when I was just randomly going through Escondido. And it's cool. And this statue appeared on CBS Sunday morning on the website. And it's if you see this, the picture of this muffler repairman is just like a time warp back to like the 1950s. And you like kind of look at the way the guy looks and how he's dressed as a mechanic. And he's fixing a muffler. And, you know, now this is the days of catalytic converters and EVs. And frankly, I don't know how many people still have these kinds of muffler units on their cars. Obviously, a lot of old cars do. But I just love this statue. And it just makes me smile every time I drive past it. It makes me think about when I was a young child in the 60s and 70s. 
I mean, how do you feel? Have you seen that? And then they dress them up too. They put like, they put a, um, a COVID mask on them. They dress them up in a Santa outfit. Sometimes they'll change the color of his shirt and mix it up. And I think that's cool. Um, so anyways, I, I just wanted a big shout out and for our friends in Escondido that Jor the Muffler Man getting a little national news. And I think that's neat. Okay, let's talk quickly about the city of National City. They're considering expanding their bike lanes. And I think this is a really neat story. Um, now, this is happening in all parts of San Diego where they're talking about putting in more bike lanes. And you're starting to see in some cases where there are roads that are two lanes in each direction, that one of those lanes is a hybrid for cars and bikes. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if cars and bikes should be in the same lane. I mean, because it's dangerous. But now with all these e-bikes on the road, more people biking, especially now as we see more of this high-density living in urban areas more where biking is encouraged, like the North Park uh, uh, micro units, we're going to see more of this. And, and I think this is a good evolution. Now, National City is considering a plan to add more bike lanes to the streets and roadways throughout the city. The plan would add four miles of Class 2 bike lanes in addition to many more lines of other types of bikeways. This is good. Now, the photo on the screen there, I think, is a picture that I got from Unsplash. It's like, um, how should I say? You, it's, it's free <laughs> uh, stock photography that you can use. And uh, that actually has a partitioned bike lane away from the, the, the cars. And it's got some nice, you know, shrubbery and things there, too. That would be ideal if they can figure out a way to do this. But I think we're going to start to see more of this. Um Again, it's it's some of this is climate change related, um, but a lot of this is just the 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 further urbanization a lot of, of a lot of these communities. A lot of these urban areas are more urban. Suburbs are becoming more urban. Even rural areas are becoming more suburban. Um, there's been talk about doing a lot of this in Encinitas. You remember they had that kid that was killed in an e-bike accident by a car. Terrible tragedy. And they're talking about more bike lanes, maybe even more rules for e-bikes, which that's a whole other thing. Um, I like this. You know, there have been cases here in my hometown of Poway of, of cyclists or pedestrians getting hit by cars along Midland Road. And, you know, there is a walkable community there with Aubrey Park, the girls' softball field, Old Poway Park, the train. Um, there's an Old Poway Park um, commercial district with restaurants and cafes and boutiques. Um, that is very walkable. And that's great. And I, I like them putting in more of these bike lanes. This makes sense to me. Now, how are they going to do it? You know, in some cases, they're taking out street side parking to make room for bike lanes. Is that good or bad? That's debatable. In other cases, they're they're allowing a bike and a car to use the same lane. I'm not sure if I like that. The, you know, the utopia idea is to have a completely partitioned bike lane, like the, like the one on, on the screen, if, if you happen to be watching the, the live stream video right now. But I'm hopeful that a lot more communities are going to do this because, again, the world is shifting. Things are changing. This e-bike revolution is exploding. I don't know if you've seen it around the county. I mean, so many, not just young kids, but middle age and even some older folks that are riding e-bikes because it's so freeing and it makes bike riding easier. They're outdoors. 
And, you know, you put a basket on that bike, you can go cruise to the, to the, the grocery store and pick up a couple of bags of fresh vegetables or whatever it is. I mean, I could do that. I don't live too far from the sprouts along Palmerado Road in Rancho Bernardo. Um, that could work. And then you might see less people with cars on the street. And I think a lot of this is also going to evolve. I think we're going to see less cars on the street, particularly as we see self-driving cars become a thing. I think you're going to see more EVs on the road that'll be self-driving. I think that's going to be a change. In some communities, there's more mass transit. That's changing the things. I, you know, again, I'm not a big fan of mass transit, um, but I know it's coming and I know it, people are using it now. So, you know, the days of everyone having a car, a place to park a car, you need a parking lots. I mean, a lot of that's changing too. That's freeing up square footage to build more housing units, which will relieve the housing crisis. All good. So bike lanes have to be a big part of this. And it's good that National City is considering it. Okay, final topic. Before we get to the San Diego Community Forum, seems this thing is backfiring. The California flavored tobacco ban is backfiring in California. So what's this about? So let me give you a little background. Um, Last November, uh, 63% of Californians chose to ban flavored tobacco products statewide by voting on Proposition 31. You may re- maybe you remember that. And it's all part of this thing to discourage tobacco use, particularly among kids. Most notably, illicit flavored tobacco product sales have increased while state revenues have decreased since they banned them, <laughs> products not covered by the ban have entered into the mar- uh, into the you know black market, and the rate of cigarette smoking remains unchanged. A recent report by the Tax Foundation estimates it's a loss of nearly three hundred million dollars in California tax revenue due to the ban. These lost funds are not from individuals quitting smoking. The data suggests that cigarette sales will only experience a marginal decline. Instead, those who use flavored nicotine products will purchase from illicit sources and across state lines, and people are finding a way to to get them. This is just further proof that prohibition doesn't work. We see that with the drug war. You see it here, too. In fact, a lot of these flavored tobacco products were in vaping products. Or maybe it wasn't necessarily tobacco, but it was flavored nicotine vaping. And those were banned. To me, that's crazy. Because there's a lot of people that are trying to quit tobacco. And using a vape product just to kind of get the nicotine fix with all, without all of the downside from a tobacco product, that's a net benefit for smokers. It's a way to wean themselves off of smoking. It's an escape. That's a good thing. And we need to see more of that. Absolutely. So this, the fact that this is backfiring to me is funny. I mean, because I, I knew this was going to fail. I mean, because obviously it's going to fail. Ultimately, according to this article, and this is from the Orange County Register, ultimately the overreaching attempt to regulate human behavior through legal restraints rarely, if ever, benefits the individuals most directly affected by these sociological experiments. A recent paper published in the Journal of American Medical Association reported that targeted enforcement activities such as flavor bans were not associated with any significant change in e-cigarette use in underage vapors, which raises the question, 
Why are we banning products less harmful than cigarettes that are proven to help adult smokers switch? Exactly. Positive tobacco harm reduction policies with clear and science-based education incentivize the switch to reduce risk products that allow people to make their own personal choices leads to behavioral changes without criminalizing a subset of our population. Exactly. These are conclusions that we each need to make on our own. You know, and besides the fact that the products have warning labels on them that are, you know, crazy warning labels. But in the end, people need to make these choices for themselves because if you ban it, it's like forbidden fruit. You know, people are still going to reach out and get it. People will find a way. And then the hilarious part of this is, is that the government has been taxing these so heavily to so-called discourage use and taxing heavily to create a revenue source for some of these other altruistic, um, you know, healthcare programs and the like. Now they're suffering a huge revenue decline because now people are just buying on the black market. I mean, some of that's even happening with with cannabis, where people are buying cannabis on the black market because California and many local cities have been too aggressive taxing it to the point that it's just so much cheaper to buy um, illicitly. And that's counterproductive, isn't it? So I don't know. I I just think this is, you know, this is uh, expected, what just happened here. People are still buying the flavored tobacco products or the flavored nicotine. They're just getting it from other sources. A friend of mine um, who to this day still chews tobacco was really, really disappointed when they banned the flavored tobacco ban. Because, you know, most people thought that was only for, um, you know, cigarettes or vaping. But he like gets a can of skull and he chews on that. It's terribly unhealthy. Uh, but he's a good friend of mine. And he, I think, used to always have like the menthol. They have a lot of different flavored ones of that. And then those were all banned and he could only buy the, the regular flavor. I remember he was pissed, but I think he was just grinning and burying. But he hasn't told me yet if he's buying it illicitly. He might be. I need to check in with him. Okay. We've gone an hour and four minutes. Uh, that leaves us, you know, the last 10 or 15 minutes to kind of go through our San Diego Community forum. And again, if you want to get involved, I'll take your comments and questions in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. But let's go here, uh, here in Poway. This is from HC507. And he was commenting on my YouTube channel about this new homeless ban in Poway. You know, they passed an ordinance that they're banning camping on the sidewalk in the public right of way. Um, and these people need to be moved. And there's some controversy around this. And according to HC, he says, This is a great rule. There are lots of services out there for people to take advantage of to get help and get off the streets. If you and I can do it, they can live um, life like a productive member of society, too. Don't make excuses for them because it just keeps telling them they aren't capable as the rest of us. And that's just not true. We all have problems. And yet here we are getting life done. No more coddling. It's It's only gotten worse because of it. Well, yeah, despite what our local leaders do here in San Diego County, homelessness continues to grow. They keep throwing more money at it to help the homeless. They keep, you know, buying old hotel buildings for the homeless. They're, they're setting up like these temporary trailers, I think, down in Chula Vista or National City for the homeless. And still homelessness keeps growing. Why? It's because we have a housing crisis, which we talked about at the early part of the show. Housing is getting more and more expensive because they're not building enough and the demand is high. Now, you go to other parts of America 
you know, where housing is a lot less expensive, like in, I don't know, I'll just say Mississippi or Missouri or where have you. Well, there, low-income people can get housing, whether they're renting or buying. Low-income people can can get housing that, because the rent for apartments and for houses is so much cheaper than it is in California. They can find a place to live because maybe they have a job and they can still be a somewhat productive member of society, even though they have an addiction or maybe they have some mental health challenges. They can still live in a civilized fashion with some dignity in a lot of these other places because housing's so much less expensive. But here in California, politicians and NIMBYs have been resisting development, which causes housing pricing to go up and more and more people are falling into homelessness. And really that's the number one driving reason for homelessness is that they can't afford housing. Now, these people do have other issues going on in their life, mental health, addiction, PTSD, that's real. That's real. But fixing that is only part of the problem. Um, we need to make housing more affordable. So in this case, yeah, I kind of agree with the HC. It is a good rule. I mean, is it quote unquote for their own good? I mean, that sounds harsh, right? But it is a public right of way, a sidewalk. I mean, they shouldn't be allowed to camp there. Now, should cities set up zones that it's legal to camp? I say definitely yes. And I know the city of San Diego is setting up part of Balboa Park to do that. That's fine. Can other cities do similar things where they can say, okay, we're not going to be bastards and, and kick you out and take all your stuff. Um, but you can't, you can't set up you know, a tent in front of all these restaurants or in someone's neighborhood. You, you need to find a place to live. Um, and in this case, they said you know, they can only kick them out if there is shelter beds nearby. And I think part of the criticism of Poway is there aren't local shelters nearby. But in my opinion, what the city should do is just set up an area where camping is legal. And then it can be maintained and it can be, um, what's the right word? It can be overseen, you know, by officials to make sure that it's managed and maintained to the best of their ability, just like any city park would be. I like that idea. Um, I don't know what places that would be in Poway. I mean, we can have a conversation about it. But uh, it, it was a tough stance, you know, and this was led by Councilman uh, Brian Pepin pushed this and had uh, general acceptance, I think, from all of the city council members, if I recall. Yeah, I believe, was it unanimous or did one person oppose it? I think it might have been unanimous. Um, so we'll see how this goes. Now, some people are saying this is having an effect on nearby cities because it's like whack-a-mole if you blow out the homeless in Poway, they got to go somewhere else. And then they're trying to shut down a, a homelessness issues. It's a big problem. In the end, city governments don't have a solution for this. It's getting worse. The best thing we can do overall is to build more housing. Not only does that provide better housing opportunities that people that already have housing or people that are moving in, but it'll open up space for people on the lower income part of the scale so they can find more affordable places to live. To me, that's what has to be done, but that's going to take a long time because this construction takes a while and every construction project seems to be battling city councils and lawyers and everything else just to get it done. So that's going to continue to be a problem. Okay, moving along. This one from Mike Devine. 
Okay, so Mike Devine's a frequent listener and, and viewer of this show and comments on my YouTube channel all the time. Mike is also a very outspoken guy. Um, and he always has something to say. In fact, he's been doing a lot of his own videos on social media, which are pretty good. You may or may not agree with him, but I love his free expression. Mike says, um, I'm still amazed at how you can be so critical of ethics lapses in politicians and continue to point only to Trump, particularly when the evidence against the Biden family's pay-per-play corruption is becoming more and more obvious, um, something uh, Trump never did. And then you mentioned Schiff as being middle of the road when he outright lied about Trump and, and, and said in the impeachment hearings, I'm not saying Trump is pure. But your inability to lay off the criticism of of um, unethical politicians of the Democratic persuasion is an obvious blind spot in your vision. Yes, Biden's wall is being built. You were timid with that slap, but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> OK, Mike, um, there's a number of parts to that. Yes, I'm highly critical of Donald Trump for all of his ethics violations for trying to overturn an election. For inciting a riot on Capitol Hill, to say nothing of all these other ethics violations and the, you know, we can go down the list. There's a long list. He has four indictments on him. Trump is a disgrace and needs to be called out as such. Now, of course, other politicians are a disgrace, too. We just talked about Ben Kalasha, who is a Democrat or a former Democrat. I'm not sure. And yeah, even Joe Biden. I mean, that guy is, is a disaster, too. I mean, he's going senile. He, he seems to be making, he always made gaffes in the past. I mean, this is a guy, Joe Biden, who called Barack Obama clean and articulate for a black man. I mean, talk about a racist statement by Joe Biden. Joe Biden used to make fun of, um, of people from Asia. He says, you know, in here in Delaware, you, you can't go into a 7-Eleven without hearing an Indian accent. I mean, come on, Joe. Um, Joe Biden is also one of the, the cheerleaders of this foolish, insane war on drugs that locks up so many people in prison. He and, and by the way, has marijuana been decriminalized at the legal level? No. Is it still on the schedule one narcotics list? Yes. And, you know, Hunter Biden, I mean, that guy is a disaster. But. You know, I haven't gone deep into the whole Biden, what's the right word, uh, uh, conspiracy theory, pay the big man his 10 percent and all that. But Biden ain't no saint. And I can make a long list of other Democrats are as well. But Trump is just so over the top, so unbelievably worse than everyone else. He has to be commented on and he is in his own unique space. And of course, I'm going to comment on him. Now, as an aside, the Adam Schiff comment, I, I admit there I was wrong. Now, let me set this back up. Um, Diane Feinstein's resigning, and there are three candidates that are running for her position. Well, you know, excuse me, she hasn't resigned. That's part of the problem. She will be leaving at the end of her term in 2024, so like in a year and a few months. And she's 90. She doesn't have it all together. In fact, on, on a personal level, she's turned over her power of attorney, I think, to her daughter because she can't make decisions herself. But yet she's still in Senate making decisions for the American people, which is nuts. So 
there are three people that are Democrats that are running for that seat. And there's Republicans, too, but they don't they don't stand a chance in California. One of them is um, Adam Schiff, who uh, Mike Devine uh, comments on. The other one is um, what is her name? She's she's from Orange County. And she's very, very outspoken. She always has her little whiteboard that she does her um, uh, conversations with. And I, I, her name is escaping me. Um, she is very outspoken, very, very progressive. She's running for that spot. And then the third person is Barbara Lee. Now, I made a comment that, you know, because I, I didn't like the the, the Orange County woman. Uh, God, what is her name? Um it escapes me. Um, but there's no way I would ever support her. Schiff, you know, kind of a, a weenie Democrat, but was, you know, definitely a big part of the of the Trump impeachment trials. But I really should have said that I would have supported Barbara Lee because she was the only senator, I recall, or maybe the only congressperson that voted against the war in Afghanistan. And that took a lot of courage right after 9-11. And, and I, I support her on that. Uh, because the way America handled the whole Afghanistan war in the wake of 9-11 was terribly wrong. Um, she's a woman of principle. Now, granted, I don't support Democrats in, in general. I don't support Republicans. But, um, yeah, a lot of them deserve a lot of criticism. Katie, oh, her name is Katie Porter. That's the one from Orange County that I'm thinking of, who I just think is horrible. Uh, another Democrat, Mike Devine. So, Anyways, and yeah, Biden's expanding the border wall, which is ridiculous. They need to tear down the wall. We need more immigrants in America. We have a housing shortage. This is a nation built on life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. This is the land of the free, the home of the brave. Give us your poor and huddled masses. We need more immigrants in America. And yet Joe Biden is expanding Donald Trump's foolish, immoral wall, which just drives me crazy. Okay, moving on. We'll talk here about the Garve, and this is uh, it's about Steve Garvey. You know, he's playing with the idea of running for that Senate position, the seat occupied by Dianne Feinstein, but running as a Republican. And Dad Sixpack said, I'd vote for him. Look at that shitstorm Democrats have turned California into. Yeah, Garvey. Um, you know, I reported on this mostly because I'm a sports fan and I also follow politics. To me, sports and politics, there's so many similarities. People are tribal. They have their team and the other guy's team and they're heroes and they're villains. And, you know, some teams win and some teams lose. And everyone's got a backstory, you know, that's outside the lines, you know, in their private life. And Steve Garvey, remember at one time in the 1980s when he was still playing ball for the Dodgers and the Padres, was Mr. Clean Cut, Straight Arrow, Mr. Reagan-esque guy. And people thought he had a real future in politics. And then he ended up getting involved in, in um, you know, affairs. He ended up getting sued for and, and, and cheating people or something like that. I remember he just got into a lot of trouble. And and the hammer dropped on him. And his, back then, that was crushing. You know, now, in today's age, if Donald Trump can uh, pay off a porn star and have multiple affairs with different women and be on a Hollywood access bus with Billy Bush talking about all kinds of lewd things and still get elected. I mean, the, the world has changed. Um, would the, Gar the Garve has no chance in California. Now, sure, the Republicans would say, yeah, he's not as bad as some of the Democrats, and maybe he is, but there's no way a Republican is going to win in California. I mean, Arnold won the governorship, but he was a celebrity, and and uh, Governor Gray Davis was unpopular with his auto tax. 
And then Arnold, once he got into office, he flip-flopped on just about everything. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I just, it's fun to think about Garvey in politics. Okay, here's another comment. This is about the segment I did um, on YouTube about taxing car drivers to fund mass transit. And um, RC says, people who want to use mass transit should pay for it. I agree. <laughs> Seems simple, right? Um, but that's what part of this gas tax or mileage tax proposal that's on the on the docket there from Sandag. I remember it was part of the plan. They took it off. Amy Reichert, who's running for supervisor, is really anti-gas tax, but I'm not sure if they're gonna, still going to push it. But in the end, leaders in San Diego County have this grand vision for more mass transit. And, you know, we can talk about the benefits and the and the downside of mass transit. I, I tend to be a bigger believer in the future with self-driving EVs because people could literally get you from your doorstep to your ultimate destination. You can't do that with mass transit. I mean, you can only go where the trolley line goes. Okay, then maybe you get on a bus and then you got to take two or three transfers to wherever you get. And that's why people say, screw it, I'm just going to drive a car. But when, when, when these self-driving EVs become popular and, and more safe, and they're getting better every day, you'll be able to hail a self-driving EV like an Uber or a Lyft. They'll come to your house. You'll be able to sit in the back seat. You can be productive. You can work on other things. And you'll show up somewhere else right where you want to go precisely to your destination, to your office, to your meeting, to your dental appointment. And you won't have to take a transfer or or go to a different mode of transportation. And these self-driving EVs are going to be a lot more efficient the way they'll drive. They're going to, they're going to be um, able to synchronize and, and travel in far less, there'll be far less traffic because of the synchronicity and the computer controlled aspect to these systems. And oh, by the way, they're going to be a lot more climate friendly because they're going to be EVs. But I, I always kind of get bent out of shape when they're asking car drivers to pay for mass transit. It's like, no, that's wrong. I mean, I wouldn't expect mass transit drivers or mass transit users to pay a, a, a gas tax for the roads. That wouldn't be right either. Um, so making car drivers pay for mass transit is crazy. And yeah, they, they people that use mass transit should pay for mass transit. But instead, they want to do the opposite. They want to make mass transit free. If you're a senior, if you're a student, if you're low income, if you're in whatever protected class, they want to find a way to make mass transit inexpensive or just downright free. And really, I mean, they're building all of this infrastructure, these overpasses and railways. You see all the work they did at UCSD to get the trolley up there? I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars to build that, to build these overpasses and bridges and tunnels and everything else for this mass transit when self-driving EVs can use the existing infrastructure of the roads that exist and use them more efficiently. Okay, last comment. Um, And this is about, uh, this is from uh, Chris Mash talking about the segment I did on Poway Toyota. And remember Poway Toyota was paid, according to Chris Cruz, as a local community activist here in Poway, was paid approximately $4 million dollars in compensation or tax breaks to move their dealership across the street on Poway Road. So to move that Poway Toyota dealership to make room for Lowe's home improvement, which went in that spot. 
And I was saying, wait a minute, this is, again, the example of government officials picking winners and losers, because in that case, taxpayers are paying to move Poway Toyota. So Poway Toyota gets money. Lowe's gets a space open up for them. And meanwhile, it's taxpayers that are paying for these corporations to do this, um, you know, uh, uh, what do they call that? Where Musical Chairs Act. But according to Chris Mash, he says 99% of government regulations is simply lobbyists eliminating competition. Well, there is a lot of truth to what Chris says there. Now, let's, what do we mean by that? So you got to think about this. Who are these lobbyists? Now, lobbyists are typically employed by large corporations or by large industry groups and trade organizations. And what are they trying to do? Are they, are they trying to pass regulations to make it easier for people to do business? No. They're trying to pass regulations to make it harder for competition to, to take their market share. Established companies, they have money for lobbyists, right? They have, they have all these resources that they can play the regulatory game. But new startups, new innovative companies, new companies that are self-funded don't have armies of lawyers and lobbyists that can work on their behalf to essentially play the game in the rigged fashion that it is. I mean, a a classic example, and and this just changed recently, is what um, is going on with Medicare, Medicare Part D. Remember, that's the prescription drugs uh, bill that was passed under George Bush. And it was an expansion of Medicare, by the way, without any additional funding, which made the Medicare financial deficit even worse. But what it also did is it prevented Medicare from negotiating prices with Big Pharma. That's great for Big Pharma. They get to keep those high prices. And people justified. They said, well, you know, the Americans have to pay for all the the research and all the nations of socialized medicine get to benefit from all that research. Well, that may be true, but but still, it was a government policy that prevented price negotiation. That's rigging the system for those that are already in business. But there are lots of other cases like this. I mean, think about, um, let's pretend for a minute that you are a person that has always wanted to have their own business and you really enjoy... Uh, being a hairstylist. And maybe you've always cut your kid's hair or maybe some of your friend's hair. And you've got like a little setup in your bedroom uh, or in the garage where you cut people's hair and you just do it because you enjoy it and you're good at it. Maybe people will kind of, you know, give you a little bit of money kind of on the down low. Well, that's perfectly legal, you know, for you to do it as long as you do it for free. But if you want to do it and get paid and be compliant with the law, it's illegal. Unless you get a license, you pay thousands of dollars for training, you go through hundreds, if not thousands of hours of training to then have the legal ability to do what you otherwise could do for free. And the only difference is is that you're charging money. So a lot of those occupational licenses like that prevent competition. There's so many other cases. I mean, we've talked about baby formula and how they prevent competition. They prevent tariffs. I mean, I'm sorry, they prevent imports by using tariffs. Um, all these new tariffs. I mean, Trump wants to increase the tariffs 10%. What does that do? That benefits domestic manufacturers and penalizes not only 
imported goods, but it penalizes the American people that buy products because who pays tariffs? Americans do. It's not a tax on China. It's a tax on Americans. Um, but yeah, there, there are countless other examples of where government regulations essentially make the regulatory state have more and more control, centralized planning of a wide range of industries. I mean, look at what Obamacare has done in healthcare, putting these extra burdens on healthcare companies, on healthcare insurance providers, to the point now where a lot of healthcare insurance providers, the products they were selling for inexpensive, uh, catastrophe only policies are now illegal. In other cases, a lot of these regulations, like you ever heard of certificate of need um, in, for hospitals? New hospitals cannot be built unless the existing hospitals in that area agree mutually that they need more hospital beds. Think about that. Imagine if you were going to open up a bakery and you could only get approval for it if all the other bakers in a five-mile radius said, yeah, it's okay. You can compete with us. That's what goes on with healthcare. This is nuts. Um, And these are all, again, government regulations that are set up to eliminate competition. In this particular case, yeah, Chris, you're right. (laughs) You're exactly right. Um, That's what happens. I mean, we've talked a lot about um, the cannabis uh, dispensary ban that's going on. There's all these communities are trying like hell to ban cannabis. And Rancho Bernardo for the longest time was trying to ban the outlet there. And um, and finally, the, you know, the, the proponents for it kept fighting it and dealing with attorneys, dealing with city planning boards. And they finally got it approved and it's been appealed and they got it approved again. And who does, and by the way, when you, prevent medical marijuana from being set up. I mean, who does that benefit? Well, the liquor store down the street sure likes that. The pharmaceutical companies that sell in a CVS or a Thrifty or any or a Walgreens, they sure love that if their competition is blocked. But yeah, a lot of regulations do that. Chris, you're absolutely right. That's why I like calling it out. And in this case with Poway, with the auto dealers, well, yeah, I mean, you can't sell cars on Poway Road unless you have a special license. That's for sure. Um, but in the end, a lot of times regulations, if you really look at them, they, there are those that benefit and those that are harmed. And frequently you're going to find that corporate interests are the ones that are writing those regulatory, regulatory code and passing them on to politicians and implement, and they are the ones that implement it in the regulatory code. And in exchange for that, they often will get financial support for their campaigns. And that sort of thing occurs at all levels of government, federal, state, local. It's a real thing. Um, and, you know, do we, need, do we need to have clean water and clean air? And yeah, we do. You can have laws that establish that and, and, and ensure that clean water and clean air is a thing and those that are polluters are penalized. But look at a lot of regulations and look through at it through that prism of protecting, uh, p- protecting establishment corporations and competition. And you'll see that it's all over the place. So yeah, Chris, you're absolutely right. Okay, um, the last comment I wanted to make, and, and I'll just kind of finish on this. Um, I went to Snapdragon Stadium last Saturday with my good friend, Charlie Sellers. You may know Charlie, he's a former school board member on the Poway Unified School Board. And he's a he's a former Aztec and Aztec for life. He has season tickets and he invited me and it was a game against Idaho State. My first experience at Snapdragon Stadium. If you've not been there, man, what a great stadium that is. Um, you know, it's at the, you know, kind of 
in the same general area as the former site of Qualcomm Stadium. Really a beautiful amenities. Um, we walked into the stadium and really neat kind of bars and restaurants and whether it's kind of like more of a a higher end kind of a lounge area or whether it's just sort of like a taco stand, but it's kind of upgraded and cool. Um, and, and it's well lit and there's, you know, concessions and it's obviously all brand spanking new, but it was really neat. And then we went into our seats and we were on the 50 yard line, but way up at the top, but the sight lines were great. I mean, really good. And, uh, the, the video boards were great. I mean, the grant of the stadium was only about half full, maybe even a little less than half. That was disappointing, but I mean, that's probably because the opponent was Idaho state this weekend. They're playing, um, UCLA. So hopefully they can sell that thing out. I, Last time I talked to Hacksaw, they were they were they had a deficit of about eight thousand tickets still to sell, and there's still issues. Prices are expensive for tickets there, and if you want to, I mean, the, sometimes the face value of the tickets not so bad, but season ticket holders have that license fee they got to pay. It's like a thousand bucks or more per seat. So um, you know they they were really going for it for high prices, and that's discouraged people. People also discouraged because you know they can't tailgate as much as they used to when they were at Qualcomm. But I'll just say this. If you've never been to Snapdragon Stadium, go. It's great. And granted, I went to a night game. It started at 7.15 or 7.30, and it was perfect. It was at at night. I was just wearing a long sleeve T-shirt and a pair of jeans. Um, The moon was this gorgeous, like, orange color. It looked really neat. A lot of really great fans there and a really good time. Um, So I'm looking forward to going back. And uh, so I I just want to give a big thumbs up to – what the Aztecs are doing with Snapdragon. I know the Wave are there. We're going to have an MLS team there. Uh, Charlie was telling me that when the MLS team comes to San Diego, he said that part of their deal is they're going to have to kick in like 30 million, 50 million bucks or whatever it is to add some uh, shade, some like, you know, tarps that go around the top ring of that stadium to provide more shade. That would be great. That's been a big objection to a lot of people because they remember that first opening game against Arizona last year when it was an insane heat wave. But you know what? I mean, that was an exception to the rule. Most of the time on a Saturday afternoon in San Diego and Mission Valley, it's you know in the 80s, maybe the high 70s. There's a breeze usually. Okay, yeah, we got global warming, everything else, but go at night. When the, most of the time, when they have night games there, they're really nice, and that's the best time to go. And, you know, the band was there, and it was a lot of fun. I, I had a great time. The, the music is loud. Uh, the I, we were sitting right next to one of the big speakers. You know, they really pump that that music kind of during the break, and it can be a little overwhelming depending on where you are in the stadium. But again, I think if more people. We're in the stadium. A lot of that sound would be absorbed by human bodies and it would be a much better experience. Okay. Um, Hey, thanks for joining me here on the John Riley Project. It's been two months since I've been at you. I went back and looked. I think my last episode was on June 28th. So, you know, I took time off, a little little time um, to take a break. You ever ever follow Dave Rubin, um, the Rubin Report? He was the guy that inspired me to start my podcast. And he always takes August off completely. He goes on vacation on from August. And what he does is kind of amazing is he disconnects himself from the internet entirely. No text, no web, no mobile phone, except for a phone call. Um, and he goes somewhere and goes camping or wherever he is. And he's really tuned out of the news for a whole month. That would be hard to do. 
I still stayed in touch with everything, but I just kind of wanted to take a break from this. I also um, was working on my website, Happiness76. If you go there, happiness76.com, trying to optimize that. I'm doing a few things there. But I was also just so darn busy with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, which is the sports podcast I do every Monday and Thursday at three o'clock. Just go to Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube. And we cover the whole world of sports twice a week. Um, And that's been keeping me busy, too. But I really want to get back to doing my own podcast on local San Diego news about once a week. And, you know, for now, we're doing this Wednesday around 12. Um, I'm going to probably going to need to change it to like one, maybe, uh, because then I can guarantee myself that I start on time and I want to make it so people will look forward to it and get in the live stream so they can participate in the live chat through the podcast. But anyways, thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining me. Um, if you have questions or comments, you always go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. Uh, look forward to coming back at you next Wednesday and have a great day out there, friends. And we'll be back at you real soon. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.